0: You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining us on the podcast today is local author Donald Levin. Donald Levin's latest book is a diversion from what he's been known for, which is a mystery series with a single protagonist that's the Martin Cruz series set in Ferndale. But his latest brand new novel is historical fiction. It's titled Savage City, and it takes us back to 1932 Detroit. And we aren't following a single protagonist now. It is an ensemble cast of four main characters and several colorful side characters as well. This is 1932. It's going to definitely please fans of the crime novel, the detective novel, the hard novel. It's during basically the bleakest period of the great depression and it's all taking place during one fateful week uh one rather violent week of history in detroit specifically uh, a period of labor unrest uh we have detective clarence brown one of a handful of black officers in the detroit police department he's sort of the sort of the hero of the story he's navigating a, a thicket of lies and racism to find the killer of a young black man then we have ben rubin he's wanting to move from being just a petty criminal and maybe perhaps enter the ranks of detroit's notorious purple gang you can't have a can't have a novel set in the historical 1930s detroit without talking about the infamous purple gang uh elizabeth waters is another character a fiercely independent uh, communist sympathizer who has turned her back on her privileged gross point upbringing to join the workers fight for a piece of the american dream And then Roscoe Grissom is an unemployed autoworker enlisted by the fearsome Black Legion to sow terror as a night-riding emissary of hate. The Black Legion was a white supremacist group based here in Detroit in the 30s. So some rather bleak, rather savage history going on here. Uh, But what the narrative is really centering around is actual piece of history. It's the Ford Hunger March sometimes called the ford massacre it was this demonstration that was actually on march 7th 1932 which is the day we were recording this podcast a 90th anniversary of a dark day Uh, a demonstration by unemployed auto workers in detroit and it took place during you know this period clearly the height of the great depression it stretched from detroit to dearborn specifically to the ford river rouge complex which was ford's largest factory and the largest in the world at that time so and that's just one example of all of the historical insights that uh, Donald Levin illuminates in his story here. This is, this is a page-turning story. This is a fictionalized story, but it has a lot of historical elements, and boy, did he do the research for it. So we're here to talk to the local author, an award-winning fiction writer, professor emeritus of English uh, at Marygrove, former dean of faculty at Marygrove College, and author of seven Martin Proust mysteries, as well as works of poetry and dystopian fiction as well. But now we're talking about historical fiction. Here's our chat with Donald Levin.
1: I had been reading a lot of James Ellroy, who was the author of L.A. Confidential, the book that L.A. Confidential was based on. And a number of other things. He has he has two L.A. quartets, which are novels about the historical events in uh, Los Angeles in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. As I was reading him, especially I was reading the uh, what what he calls his second L.A. quartet, uh, a book called *Perfidia* and another book called *This Storm*. I was thinking how nice it would be to do something like that. With Detroit, because uh, Detroit has the same kind of colorful history, maybe not exactly the same kind of colorful history as L.A., but it has, certainly has its own. And the more I thought about that, um, the more I warmed to the idea. And I had been i had been wanting to get away from the Martin Proust series. Uh, I, I can't say I was tired of it, but I, I needed a change from it.
0: Even with that being said, the most recent book was very good. It's, it's
1: not like you were running out of steam. Thanks. Um, well, usually, you know, when I when I write a book and I, I I've sort of banged out seven in a row. And when I when I got maybe three quarters of the way through, I started to think about the next book, the, the next Proust book, that is. And that wasn't happening when I wrote uh, when the, the last one, which is um, In the House of Night. And I started to ask myself, well, you know, why, why am I not thinking about the next Proust book? It turns out that I I realized in thinking about that, that I wanted to get away from it. At least for a minute, I want to take a sabbatical from uh, from Proust, and this opportunity to to think about Detroit's history with a larger cast of characters was very exciting to me. So I did research. Uh, I did a lot of research for this book. Obviously, I mean, the book is set in 1932. Obviously, I wasn't around in 1932, and my family actually didn't come to Detroit until the 50s. So I don't, you know, we don't go that. Far back in, in Detroit's history, but as I was thinking about it and and reading research, I knew there were a couple of different things I wanted to uh, accomplish. I wanted to talk about the Black Legion, um, which was a white supremacist group, an actual white supremacist group, uh, active in uh, Michigan and the the Upper Midwest uh, in the 30s. And uh, until I, actually until I taught at airgrove I had never heard of the Black Legion. Uh, and then uh, some of the historians. We're talking about it. And and, uh, the more I research I did, the more it opened my eyes to what was going on. So I knew I wanted to do that. And I knew once I started to think about the 30s as sort of the boundary, I knew that there was a lot of union activity going on in terms of uh, starting the union, in terms of uh, anti-union activity. And I wanted that to be part of it. And I sort of focused in on the Ford hunger strike of 1932. Incidentally, this we're we're taping this on March seventh, which is the ninetieth anniversary of the Fort Hunger Strike, which took place on March seventh, nineteen thirty-two. What timing? So there you go. Yeah. So as I, as as that sort of formed the boundaries of the of the project, I started to think about what else was going on in Detroit at the time. I started to think about Father Coughlin, and I started to think about Frank Murphy, who was the mayor at the time, and you know the the setting. The setting and the time gave rise to sort of the characters, and not only the location but also the history, the tone, and a good deal of the action. So I knew I wanted to get away from just the the single point of view narrator, uh, which is essentially what Proust was. There were there were other um, other points of view in the Proust series, but mostly he was uh, his consciousness sort of focused everything. So I wound up with four main characters and uh essentially wrote four books four different books which come together as the as the uh as their plots as the individual plots sort of uh, uh wear on it, they they cohere
0: that's right they're intertwining and we should say it's not that you're going to read them in chunks each successive chapter it's in like a round robin style we check in with all four and then it yes. goes again and they progress
1: and the the actions overlap uh, so you see uh, in some cases you see the same action from different points of view for example the hunger March itself you see from from two of the characters different points of view so that was fun it was it was a it's a complex uh, narrative and uh, it was it was a tremendous amount of fun to write
0: did you realize that you were really going to be illuminating a period of time that had a rather considerable amount of bleakness to it uh i guess it's just yeah. inherently bleak i mean talk about writing in the depression we, we mentioned father coughlin and then that brings in the anti-semitic energy that was around there and then the black legion the racist energy that was around there yeah. so this is not this is definitely not a cozy mystery can you talk about uh <laughs> really really going there with the i almost think it surpasses the the cliche of hard-boiled this is something entirely different
1: <laughs> um, well, you're absolutely right. Um, it was it was a very bleak time, yeah. hence the title, uh, the Savage City. Right, yeah. exactly. And you know, there's a there's a lot of poverty. It's it it really it's the it's the um, the, the bottom of the depression. Uh, right. When you read the novel, you you see that uh, people are going hungry. Uh, they're selling apples on the street. I mean, all all the things that happened during the depression in Detroit wound up being sort of reflected in this book, um, including not only the desperation but also the, um, the, the determination to make something positive uh, out of what was happening. So you get uh, you know you get characters who are who are not only um, repulsive as one of the main character is who's part of the Black Legion who winds up being sort of sucked into the Black Legion. But you also get uh, characters like uh, Clarence Brown, mm-hmm. who was uh, actually based on an actual um, black detective at the time in the, in the thirties, and I I sort of changed his uh, I changed his actions, and I changed you know I changed him to to suit my purposes. But um, he's what I think of as sort of the moral center of the book. I was going to say that. The, He's, you know, he, he he's winds up being a lot of a uh, lot of the readers favorite because he is um, he is such a decent guy, you know, and uh, he's a detective. And the, the detective genre sort of uh, uh, is, is part of his narrative because he has to find out um, uh, he has to solve a crime without going into too much, uh, too many spoilers. Sure. Um, so he's he's a, he's a decent guy. There's a, another character, another main character, is uh, a woman named Elizabeth Waters, who works for uh, WXYZ Radio. At the at the time that the Lone Ranger is being developed, there's also a fictional series uh, being developed um, that she's working on uh, while she works for their the radio station. Um, and she's uh, she's from Gross Point. She comes out of a very privileged background, but she winds up determined. To be um, socially useful, uh, she drifts through a lot of the book. Uh, she has certain tendencies, um, but she doesn't quite get how to how to put her skills and her and her talents to use. And I think by the end of the book, she you know she uh, she she winds up figuring that out. Another one of the main characters is um, uh, Ben Rubin who is uh, a wannabe member of the uh, Purple Gang. I know you can't talk about Detroit in the early 30s without talking about the Purple Gang. True. So um, he's a young Jewish guy who's uh, sort of a petty thief. He's kind of drifting himself. And uh, his uncle is in the Purple Gang, and he wants to be a Purple Gangster. So uh, his, his arc is uh what happens when he tries to be a a purple gangster uh and and it's 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 not pretty Uh, so uh um and the, the 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 repulsive guy i was talking about is uh is a character named roscoe roscoe grissom who is uh an unemployed auto worker and he's the one who gets sucked into the black legion it seems to me
0: that there's this arc there where clarence is kind of the the beacon the protagonist and then Ben and Elizabeth are wavering. We don't know where they'll go. And then Roscoe is on the full other side of the, if there's sort of this hero to villainy spectrum. Yeah, Not yeah, to simplify exactly. it, but you're, exactly. you're you're rooting or hoping for Ben and Elizabeth. Uh, and you're worried for them the whole time. Roscoe, you, you can draw your conclusions and Clarence you can root for. So it, I like that yeah. structure.
1: Yeah, thanks. When I did the book launch uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Color and Ink Gallery in uh, Color and Ink Studio in Hazel Park, um, I had um, Depression-era cookies for the, the people who came. Yeah. And um, Clarence and Ben and Elizabeth had their own cookies appropriate to the era. But Roscoe didn't get any cookies because he's <laughs> he, too bad. <laughs> what
0: I'm trying to find a word for this. It has gotten me to think about what I guess happens to to any individual when desperation maybe sets in, and also what happens to them when they have maybe the wrong or the right influences in their life, or whoever they are associating with. And you can see, you can really read into what Ben's impulses become based on what he's thinking about or who he's associating with or Elizabeth, what her impulses become based on who she associates with. And it is such a tenuous time, such a tenuously specifically, it's a tenuously economic time and almost not entirely because of the depression, but because Detroit is so intertwined with the Ford motor company. And I think that there's just a lot there and I can't help, but draw back to reference another author we had on this podcast who wrote another book and it was about flint and it was very much digging into the devastation of flint because of its sort of dependency on uh uh, general motors and being an industry town so and i think this book does tap into that especially with elizabeth's storyline uh you know (laughs) the uh i wish i had a better structured question but i think this is dipping into the capitalism of, of it all and really what happens to us when when things go awry in an industry town and you can you can have heroes you can have villains you can have people in the middle so you bring that out in the dialogue and their narratives too so
1: yeah yeah um i, th- I think you're right that um you know capitalism really wavered uh right. at this time um and there was a real you know the communist uh, influence was was growing uh, and in fact, Elizabeth uh, sort of comes under the sway of the, the local communist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a real question about whether capitalism would survive uh, or, or whether it ought to survive. Um, so I, I think you're right that these, you know, he, he, everything in the book sort of um, coheres around um, the question of how do you uh, operate? How do you function in this kind of a world? Right. Not only a world of um, economic devastation, but a world of uh, political corruption, Mm -hmm. um, a world of racism. Uh, Clarence is, is subjected to racism everywhere he turns. You know, um, and Ben is subject to anti-Semitism. Uh, maybe not so much everywhere he turns, but to to, to quite a few, you know, from, from quite a few influences. So, how do the, these characters are all sort of isolated within this large economic, social, political um, framework, and they're they're trying to figure out how do I live?
0: Disenchantment, I think, is the word. Maybe I was looking for. There might be some disenchantment. disenchantment and especially a sense of embittered embitterment from from roscoe um Mm -hmm. and it is all tied into you know what's the human impact what's the human cost if there is a depression uh i'm sure it sends a big company like ford into the red but what's actually happening to the people and i think that that's another thing that this book became about
1: Uh, i think you're absolutely right um the um the way i think of it is that the the book Looks at the human substrate of large public events, um, and um, so that's why we have all these. You know, we've got um, uh, Diego Rivera sort of has a walk-on role, um, and um, a, lot, a lot of characters have have walk-on roles.
0: Ford himself.
1: Uh, Ford himself has a has a walk-on role. And yep, he's scary. A- <laughs> Yeah. Um, Frank Murphy, you know, there's, there are, there are fictionalized characters, of course, this, 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 you know, it's not a documentary, but, uh, it's, I I like the way you're characterizing it. I think that's, that's absolutely right.
0: But I think it also, this is also a book that pleases fans of the mystery genre at the same time, or, or kind of the crime fiction genre as well. Um, I think that, I don't know, maybe talk a little bit about that too. When, when you're writing the, the Clarence section, it does feel like m- maybe some of the fans of the Proust series will tap into that because it does feel like the protagonist, the mystery, the, the detective. Um, right. But you did get into, I, what was it like to finally, we, to study sign Clarence, talk a little bit more about those other three characters and I guess what you found fulfilling about exploring them as a character and exploring their narratives and even getting into their voice, getting into the 30s patter of speech. That was great too
1: yeah yeah thanks um each of the characters uh each of the the characters' chapters sort of has a, a style of its own uh based on who the character is because the events are filtered through the character's um consciousness um so um Clarence is very sort of straightforward um he's he is most like Proust He's a sort of dogged, uh, dogged detective who's determined not to let um, this crime that he um, uncovers um, fall through the cracks, so to speak, uh, when everybody else around him is ready to uh, just turn the other look the other way. Um, and um, Ben is sort of, uh, you know, went, the the language that uh, that I found from the '30s that's so interesting to me. Uh, is one of the things that I think you're picking up on because the, each of the characters uses language differently. And, um, at one point, uh, Ben talks about harness bowls and, um, people have asked me what's a harness bowl. Uh, and that's, those are uniformed policemen. That's what they, that's, uh, what they refer to in uh, by a certain, um, segment of the, uh, uh, of the society. So, and, um, Elizabeth's uh, Elizabeth being probably the most refined uh, consciousness in the book has a has a a, a more refined look at things uh, a broader sort of look at things because she comes out of a sense of privilege and even though she's trying to s- struggle against that privilege she's it still sort of you know informs her and in what she does and what she thinks of mm-hmm. and Roscoe is a is a tr- like like Clarence Roscoe is a transplanted Southerner but you're right. He's full of resentment. He's full of anger. Um, and the black Legion gives him a way to, uh, sort of, uh, perform that anger.
0: I was just going to say that that touches into what I was getting at is that the black Legion is there to, to play upon that bitterness or, you know, father Coughlin or whoever else is there to, to play upon the fear and prejudice. And it, you just see these other evil forces that are manipulating people <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's savage city.
1: Yeah, Average. that's right, man. Yeah. It's
0: savage. Yeah. Any other aspects of this book that were uh, maybe challenging, but also fulfilling? I have to imagine a lot of research went into it, but I also have to imagine that getting through it is also kind of fulfilling, even though it must feel like climbing a mountain novel-wise.
1: <laughs> uh, it was a real change from the Proust books, uh, and, which is what I wanted it to be. So I was very happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love research. And um, I, I was thinking to myself as I, was, as I was writing the book at one point, I, I actually said to myself, man, I love this. You know, it's just uh, it's recreating the world um, and, and trying to recreate this sort of historical moment uh, was very fulfilling for me uh, and very enlightening. Of course, um, the other thing that I saw was that uh, uh, you know our current our current times are not that much different from um, from 1932. You know we're we're seeing upsurges in racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, we're seeing uh, the battles of, of against the unions are are still being fought. You know um, white nationalism is on the rise, so that the the, the, the the, the world that we're living in today is really not that different. Well, it is, in, in essence, is not that different. And, I, and one of the things I wanted to, to, um, to show in this book is that what we're seeing today in terms of racism and anti-Semitism and in terms of white nationalism um, didn't just start with us. Um, I, I always sort of have to pause when I hear politicians say, this is not who we are um, when something happens, because this is exactly who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these threads go back a long way in American culture.
0: On a little bit more of a lighter note, let's talk about just writing books where the setting is very prominent, where the setting isn't really secondary, where the setting is at the heart of it because, you know, Martin Proust's, was here in Ferndale and Ferndale was very much a big part of those books. Detroit is an extremely big part of these books. Is that something that you're drawn to, or was there anything that you enjoyed most about having the setting be so, so integral and getting to write about the setting descriptively?
1: I think I loved every part of it. You know, I always hear people say, Oh, writing is so hard. It's just so awful. You know, you open a vein and bleed and I love it for me. I could, uh, I could do it all day, and I actually do do it all day um, sometimes. But um, this book couldn't have been written uh, about any other city. You know, I I sometimes read books about Detroit, and I think, well, yeah, I recognize the streets and I recognize the locations. But really, it couldn't happen in Chicago or it could happen in, you know, um, uh, Toledo or, you know, another urban area. But this book couldn't happen anywhere other than Detroit, mm-hmm. um, because the history gives rise to the book. Mm-hmm. It gives rise to the characters. Uh, it gives rise to the actions. It gives rise to the language. So it really is, you know, phenomenally um, foundational mm-hmm. to uh, to the entire book. And that was fun to write. I mean, it was uh, um, it, it was it was a challenge to. Uh, recreate imaginatively 1932 Detroit. And I, I talked to, um, I talked to historians and I talked to, I I did a lot of research. The libraries were closed when I was writing the book uh, for COVID. So I I couldn't really do much um, in-person research, Mm -hmm. but uh, I did a lot of online research and I, you know, I, I read, um, it wasn't called the Jewish news, but the, the local Jewish newspaper, Mm -hmm. uh, I read for uh, for the days of the of the uh, that the action takes place, so I knew what was going on not only in Detroit at the time, but also in the world because it was also, you know, it was it, Hitler hadn't really in 1932 taken over yet, but the Hitlerites were uh, were on the rise clearly uh, in Germany, and and anti-Semitism was on the rise across Europe. So it was it was just a phenomenal experience to um, to to do the research and then to sort of imagine these characters walking around in the, uh, in the, the imaginative city that I, that I recreated. Oh yeah.
0: I could, I constantly, uh, saw it as a movie in my head. And of course in the movie, in my head, it was black and white. Um, like an old, like an old movie on TCM, an old detective movie. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned you could write all day. That just begs the question. Um, Do you know what you might want to write next? Would it be maybe similarly in this track? Where where do you think you'll go next?
1: The short answer is I don't know. Okay. A a little slightly more complicated um, uh, answer is that I enjoyed writing historical fiction so much that I probably will write a historical a novel that's, that's similar to this. Um, I was thinking of looking at the uh, forties or the fifties in Detroit, for example. Um, So that I suspect that's where I'll go. Um, I need to, I need to take a little break though. So I'm uh, it's, it's been uh, it's it's been an adventure writing this book and and getting it out and, and seeing it be received. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not so, not so, Anxious to jump into another another book, especially I, another Bruce book. I'm not I'm not so anxious to jump into another Bruce book.
0: I think you've earned it. Uh, I think you've earned it. You banked out that seventh book, and you kind of jumped right into this amid pandemic, and then had yep. to get it all done. So I think you've earned it. So yeah, yeah, yeah and thanks. this book also feels epic enough that people can can spend their time with it. It's a little more epic. I think you get into the four hundred page territory this is uh yep. this is something people can can digest for a while and so i think it well just bravo just bravo on the whole effort you did it thanks historical Jeff. historical fiction i have to i have to believe is one of the most uh challenging if you don't enjoy research
1: <laughs> you enjoy that's right it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, the research was really sort of on a granular level. Yeah. Like uh, where did Frank Murphy live? You know, where did Maurice Sugar's office, uh, where were, where was Maurice Sugar's office? What did a Zippo lighter look like in 1932? So that was the sort of level of research that I was doing. Oh yeah. And I got a hold of a map of Detroit from 1930, um, which looks pretty different from uh, a map in 19 or uh, where are we? 2022. Right. Uh, so some of those streets don't even exist anymore. A lot of them don't exist. Uh, Black Bottom, of course, uh, doesn't exist anymore. Paradise Valley doesn't exist anymore, and those are that's where Clarence's beat, so to speak. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. That's where the book opens, in fact. Um, so it, yeah, it's um, it's really enjoyable.
0: Oh yeah, we're on the ground. Uh, I think there's there's several mentions uh, mentions of, of specific uh, restaurants and venues and even what street they were on mcnichols or what have you so it's all there yeah
1: it's always a pleasure to talk to you may i just say that um savage city is available in the library uh and it's also available at bookbeat bookstore uh in oak park and it's also available through my website dot com.
0: thanks don 11 thank you so much for joining us once again on the podcast and savage city is the latest we'll have links in the show notes thanks again don Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate this. And that was our chat with Don Levin. More information in the show notes about his latest historical fiction novel titled Savage City, set right here in Detroit in 1932. That'll do it for this latest episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician named John Duffy. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to FerndaleFriends.org or please follow us, subscribe to us, uh, give us a rating, leave a comment, tell a friend about it. If you enjoyed this chat, which was uh, a lot to do with Detroit history as well as fiction writing, share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.